But we want to dive into our teaching this week. We've been in the series called Confessions of a Recovering Christian. Confessions of a Recovering Christian. And one of my friends uh, heard about it just by scrolling through social media a couple of weeks ago. He's like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I want to hear it. <laughs> and honestly, this, this teaching has, wasn't ever meant to be controversial. Sometimes when people hear confessions, they think, man, this is going to be one of those YouTube moments where the pastor's just going off. That's, that's not the heart behind this teaching. The, the heart behind this teaching really has been uh, there's areas of our life that are pretty dialed in. There's some areas of our life where our belief and our actions line up and it lines up with God's word. But oftentimes there are moments where we have light bulb moments spiritually. where We realize that maybe what we've been doing or what we've believed or how we've been living doesn't necessarily line up. And so it's so healthy to stop and to think about it. So Pastor Chuck uh, created the six part teaching and it concludes next week. And we actually kick off some small groups built around it. But my week sort of is a bonus week. So it wasn't part of the original. And so this is an add-on today, but this is part of my confession. And here's part of my confession today. For far too long, I focused more on how things looked on the outside more than focusing on what was going on inside of me. Anybody else with me in that? I don't, I don't claim this is everybody's confession, but this is at least for me that I grew up a pretty good kid. I don't have a crazy testimony. Some of you have heard crazy testimonies, haven't you? You've seen the crazy preachers on TV late at night and they always have these bizarre testimonies. There's the guy that says, I used to be an ax murderer, but Jesus changed my life. And I wrote a new book called Ax Me About the Lord. And uh, if you'll send in, right? You, you know what I'm saying? You've, we've all heard those stories. And I don't really have that story. I grew up going to church. I, uh, from a young age, I grew up to church. I was never a rowdy kid. About the rowdiest I got was I sat too close to the TV on Saturday mornings, right? Bad for your eyesight, right? I read with too dim light. I, I was never <laughs> rebellious. I was involved in church. I went to Sunday school most of my life. I was part of discipleship training most of my life. I was part of the youth choir, even though I'm tone deaf uh, for years of my life. Thanks for laughing at me. Uh, I was also, I, I, as a middle schooler, I started volunteering at church by running sound on Sundays. As a middle schooler, I started setting up stuff on Wednesdays for youth group. I made photocopies. I ran, remember the days of the overhead projector. I, I made those cells, right? And so I did a lot of stuff, but one of the things that happened is I got so busy on the outside that somewhere along the way, and I don't know exactly where it happened, but I begin to ignore what was actually happening inside of me. One way to say it is I was good at being a servant of God, but not necessarily good at being a friend of God. Another way of saying it is I was good, but there's a difference between being good and actually being godly. And I don't know if you've ever felt that disconnect before. I feel like in our culture, there's all this pressure to look like we have it together. In the social media world, it's like, hey, on social media, it's one of two extremes. Either my life is awful and I'm going to vent about it. Or the other extreme is, look how perfect my life is. And look at my dimples and my cute outfit. And we're on another vacation again. It's, it feels like there's these two extremes and there's not a lot of reality in the middle where it seems like we feel so much pressure to act like we have it together that if we're not careful, we'll neglect what's going on inside of us. And we've said this before, and I'm telling you, this phrase for the last two years has really resonated with me. One of the things that you find is that in a world that is all about performing, in a world that's all about promotion, 
in a world that's all about looking good on the outside, one of the things that we find in scripture is that God is far more concerned with who we're becoming than he is with what we're doing. In other words, the longer we live, God's working inside of us. It's internal. There's something going on in our heart. And if we're not careful, here's the confession for me. My confession is I'll point out everything else on the surface in everybody else's life while at the same time ignoring the hidden areas of my own heart. Like if God were to do an x-ray on our heart, he's not looking at, did you get a promotion? Did you get a better house? Did you do all this external stuff? When God looks at a heart, he's like, man, is there any unconfessed sin in there? Is there any greed that's, that, that's ruining your relationships? Is there any jealousy that's underneath the surface? Is there envy where you don't want anybody else to, to move ahead? Is there, is there some area of pride? Is there lust? Is there, is there greed? When God looks at us, he looks beneath the surface. Why? Because he's more concerned with who we're becoming than what we're doing. And so today, I just want to take a couple of quick minutes to say if you're in that place, if you're in that place where everything looks okay on the outside, but on the inside you feel a million miles away from God, on the outside it looks like everything's together, but in the inside it feels like something's broken. On the outside, everybody thinks, well, they're okay, but on the inside you know you're not okay. I wanna talk about the building blocks of becoming who God wants you to be. The good news is we're not the first people to struggle with this. There's so many examples in scriptures we could have looked at, but today I wanna look at a little passage in scripture that comes out of an Old Testament book called Nehemiah. Now, I don't know if you know the background of Nehemiah. We actually taught on it uh, not quite a year ago, but Nehemiah is a pretty fascinating read in the Old Testament because if you know anything about the nation of Israel, they had moments where they were close to God and then they had moments where they just went crazy and lived in total sin and God allowed them to be disciplined because he loves them and because he cares about them just like in in the lives of your own kids if they're living rebelliously you're not going to promote that you're not going to pat them on the back you'll discipline is for their own good. Well, in a similar way, the nation of Israel went through seasons of discipline, and that's the background of the book of Nehemiah, where God allowed the enemy, the Babylonians, to take them into captivity. And they're in captivity for hundreds of years. And then finally, what began to happen after a couple of ruler changes from Babylonians to the Persians, what ended up happening is small groups of the nation of Israel began to return back home to to the city of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem is this important city. It was set apart to be the light of God among all the people that lived on this earth. And so Ezra is the first guy that heads back to Jerusalem. And his job is, I wanna rebuild the temple. I want to rebuild the the place of worship where God would meet with his people. And so Ezra goes back with a handful of people and they start rebuilding the temple. And then a few years later, Nehemiah, who we're reading about today, his brother travels back to Persia. He comes to Nehemiah. Nehemiah's got a pretty cushy job. His job is to be the cupbearer of the Persian king. Now, if you got to work, that's not a bad job. Hey, I'm going to taste the king's food, which I'm guessing is pretty good. I'm guessing there's queso every day. I don't know. (laughs) Paraphrased version of the Bible, but you're with me, right? Or this weekend, hamburgers and hot dogs, right? And so he's got a pretty good job. But what ends up happening is his brother comes to see him and Nehemiah stops and asks him, how's everything going back home? How's the temple reconstruction going? 
how's the rest of our people that have returned back to Jerusalem? And Nehemiah's brother brings back a bad report. Nehemiah's brother says, look, we got started and everything's going well, but here's what you need to know about the city that represents God among the people and the light of God among a, a dark, dark world. The city's walls are in ruin and its gates have been burned with fire. Now, when we hear that, if we're not careful, we'll think, well, what's the big deal? That's just a little historical caveat. But in their day and age, this is a really big deal. Because again, Jerusalem was set apart for the people of God to be the light of God to the nations around them. And so now all of these pagan nations are seeing the walls that have been torn down, the gates that have been burned with fire. Now all of these enemies can come in and hurt the people of God, can attack the temple of God, and the name of God was being mocked because of it among the pagans. So Nehemiah hears about it and his heart's broken and he does something about it. Fast forward to where we are today. There's no way I could go through all of Nehemiah with you, but in Nehemiah chapter eight, Nehemiah has returned to Jerusalem. He's taken supplies with him. He's taken some workers with him and he did what Everybody said couldn't be done. There's all these detractors. There's all these uh, negative folks that said, Nehemiah, there's no way you can rebuild this wall. There's no way this is going to turn out. You're a cupbearer. You're not a construction guy. There's no way this is going to work out. And yet Nehemiah does through the people what nobody thought could be done. He rebuilds the wall and they get it done in 52 days. It's unreal. And so 52 days, they're restoring the city. 52 days, they're they're restoring God's position in the world. And after 52 days, everything looked good on the outside. It's like, hey, look at our wall. Look how great. Look how awesome. The wall looked good on the outside. But you know what they found in Nehemiah chapter 8? They were hollow on the inside. There was a spiritual vacuum among the people of God. They did a great work on the outside, but I'm telling you, God is more concerned with who you're becoming than what you're doing. God cares more about what's inside of you than what you're projecting on the outside. And so in Nehemiah chapter eight, these people realize that if we're gonna be the people of God and we're gonna live for our God, if we're gonna be the light of God in the middle of this dark world, he's got to do something not outside of us, but inside of us. And that's true for me. I think that's true for you, that God wants to work inside of you. So today, let me rattle off what I consider to be four building blocks that God uses to build our souls. Four things, four ways that God comes alongside and says, look, it's awesome what you do. I'm not discounting what you do, but I'm more concerned with who you are. And man, the thing that unites all four of these building blocks together is they all come back to the word of God, to his truth. If we're not careful... We'll miss it. Building block number one, if you're a note taker and there's a space in your handout today to do that, but building block number one is to align yourself with the truth. Building block number one that God uses when he goes to work inside of our soul is to begin to align ourselves with this truth. So in Nehemiah chapter eight, the wall's finished on the outside. There's a spiritual vacuum on the inside. And so they invite the preacher guy out, Ezra. Listen to what it says in verse one. And all the people assembled with a unified purpose. They came at the square inside the water gate. They asked the preacher Ezra, the scribe, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given Israel to obey. 
So on October 8th, Ezra, the priest, brought out the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and the women and all the children who were old enough to understand. And he faced the square just inside the water gate from early in the morning until noon. And he read to everyone who could understand and all the people listened. Do you see the alignment in this passage? I mean, listen to these phrases. Verse one, all the people assembled and they assembled with a unified purpose. Verse two, before the assembly, including men, women, and children, then look down at the end of verse five and Ezra stood on the platform in full view of all the people. And when they saw him open the book, they all rose to their feet. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted amen and amen, and they lifted their hands. Then they bowed down and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. This is pretty amazing. I mean, just picturing this, this is pretty amazing. They've been in captivity. They've been far off for far so long. And now here they are realizing there's something missing inside of us. There, there's some spiritual uh, anemia going on inside of us. And so the way that they begin to build their souls is to say, we're going to align ourselves around the truth of God. That's huge. For them to say, look, there's a lot that we learned in Persia and there's a lot that we experienced in Babylon. There's a lot that we could learn from the culture around us. But if we're gonna be who God wants us to be, then they're like, man, we need to build his truth into our life. And so when you read these phrases of all the people assembled, unified purpose, lifting their hands, bowing down, what you're reading is a posture that says, we wanna hear from you, God. A posture of leaning into his truth. They're not just sitting back with their arms crossed. They're not just watching from a dis distance. They're, they're not just casual observers. They're leaning in and saying, God, we need to hear from you. Why would they do that? One of the reasons is after years in the culture, after years in Persia, after years with competing outside forces around them, they knew enough to know that they didn't know it all and they knew that they needed to recalibrate their lives. And the way that you recalibrate your life is not by somebody else's opinion, somebody else's post, somebody else's thing. The way that you recalibrate is through the truth of his word. It's this idea that the one that knows us best actually does know what's best for us, that the one that created us knows, has a best for us. And the desire of our hearts is to begin to say, man, we wanna get that influence into our lives. That would say, God, would you speak into me? And so that's the first building block. Building block number one is to say, I wanna align myself with the truth. I wanna realize that I need something firmer than what this world has to give me. Something firmer than just social media posts and uh, self-help articles and books. I need his truth in my life. That's what it means to align. That's one of the reasons why we teach publicly every single Sunday. That's why we love it when we get to gather together, that there's something about that. Would it be easier for us to take the day off? Absolutely. Would it be more convenient for our schedules just to go hang out on the lake or go to the beach? I, I, absolutely. But what we know is that there's something powerful about recalibrating our lives around his word. Well, some people are like, well, what if I don't even remember what we talked about on Sunday? There's a... a I read a post about somebody that wrote the editor of a newspaper and is like, man, I know preachers spend a lot of time working on their sermons, but I gotta be honest, I don't remember a single one of them. And the editor, a little snarky, replied back, yeah, but I've had a couple thousand meals with my wife and to be honest, I don't remember most of them, but they still have fed me. <laughs> they still nourished me. 
Sometimes when people talk about camp, they're like, well, they're just gonna have a camp high. It's not gonna last. Well, my shower doesn't last either. I don't do it just once and give up on it, right? <laughs> There's something about aligning around the truth. That's building block number one. Number one, align around the truth. Building block number two, as we think about building our souls, is number two, to access the truth. To access the truth. And in our generation, we have unbelievable access to it. But here's the challenge is, if we have too much access, but not a lot of life change, you know what that ends up producing? It produces a hardened heart inside of us. If we access the truth and don't do anything with it, what it, what it often does is it actually spoils inside of us. And what I mean by that is you can know the truth, but if you don't live in alignment with that truth, then it begins to make snarky believers out of us. And so here's what happens. They have access to the true truth. It says in verse two, so on October the 8th, Ezra the priest brought out the book of the law. This is huge. In scripture, when you read the word law, it can mean a couple of different things. So you have to put it in context, just like we do in any other conversation. When you hear something, it's like, what's the context mean? Well, the law sometimes in scripture has to do with the 10 commandments. The law sometimes in scripture, especially when you read it in the New Testament, it refers to the whole Old Testament. But the law here refers to the five first five books of the Bible, the first five books of the Bible known as the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so think about this for a second. They gather together and Ezra reads Genesis, then Exodus, then Leviticus, then Numbers, then Deuteronomy. They read for six hours a day. No fear, the tech crew told me our countdown timer doesn't go that high, so I'm not gonna do that today. But they read of it. Why would they do that? Well, if you don't know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Old Testament, known as the law here, uh, was written by Moses. And it's written by Moses right before he dies. And Moses has seen God work in amazing ways. He's seen God part the Red Sea. He saw God deliver them from Egypt. He knew the stories of God calling Abraham and, and, and Joseph and others. And so Noah, uh, Moses, before he passes away, he knows that there's a new generation coming up that didn't experience all those things personally. They didn't see the Red Sea. They didn't know Pharaoh. They didn't see all those promises made and those promises kept. And so before he dies, Moses sits down and he writes these first five books of the Old Testament as a last will and testimony to say to the people of Israel, this is what it means to be God's people. This is what it looks like to live for him. This is who your God is and this is what he's done. And so now as they they gather together to access the truth. They're not asking, what did the Persians say? What did the Babylonians say? What does somebody else say? They're saying, what does God himself have to say? And they begin to access it. It's a pretty powerful picture. It's a good pattern for us. Because if we're going to build from the inside out, I'm all for self-help books. I'm all for uh, trying to get better. I'm, I, I'm what I would consider a lifelong learner, but I'm telling you out of all the content that's out there, the content that we got to make sure we get off the page and into our lives is his word. And you might have a physical Bible. That's a great way to do it. You might have an app on your device. You might listen to it on the internet. I, I, I'm not as concerned with how you do it. I would encourage you to do it. In fact, let me just hit pause there for a second and just give you some dead simple ways to access this truth. There's a couple of them that I've found super helpful 
in my own life. The first one is to read the Bible systematically. I say this a lot in our next membership breakfast, read the Bible every day. And sometimes people are like, what do you mean read the Bible every day? I'm like, read the Bible every day. What about weekends? Read the Bible every day. What about Memorial Day? Read the Bible every day. It's like we need nourishment every day. Do I ever miss a day? Absolutely. But do I try to make it a priority to read the Bible every day? Absolutely. There's something about reading systematically. And that's just a fancy way of saying to have a game plan. It's hard to build content in your life if all you're doing is randomly picking verses here and there. There's something about having a game plan. So if you don't have a game plan, that's a great place to start. A lot of times we encourage people to say, start with the gospel of John, read one chapter of John per day. So read chapter one today, read chapter two tomorrow, chapter three, the next, right? And then at the end of each chapter, ask two questions. What do I learn about Jesus? And what do I need to do about that? What do I need to what do I learn about Jesus? What do I need to do about that? Another great way to find a game plan is to pick up the Power Routines Journal. If you haven't gotten that yet, Pastor Chuck laid this out a couple months ago, and it's a great way to have a game plan. Uh, some of you have the YouVersion Bible app. That's a great app. It's got reading plans in there. You can pick sections of Scripture to dial in on. You can do the whole Scripture in a year. My point is have a game plan. Have a game plan. Read systematically. Here's the second way to access truth is to read specifically read specifically. And when I say that, what I'm saying is to bring your life to scripture. Too often we compartmentalize our lives. We've got our work lives, our marriage lives, and our spiritual, we, we compartmentalize. And what actually happens is when we bring our whole selves to scripture and we say, God, this is what I'm dealing with. God, this is what I'm struggling with. God, this is where I need you to show up. There's something about that. And then the third one is to read with sensitivity. To read with sensitivity literally means just to quiet yourself. Quiet your devices. It's okay to put the do not disturb mode on on your phone and on your computer. Uh, it's not the end of the world if you don't respond to a text within 4.5 seconds, right? If, I'm, if I want to hear from God himself, I need to drive out the distractions. And so these people, they gathered around and they accessed it. So what's the building blocks? Building block number one, align ourselves around the truth. Building block number two, access it. Man, whether it's a physical Bible, a device, the internet, audio, access it. Build it into your life. And the third building block is number three, apply the truth. Building block number three is to apply the truth. And so here's what's interesting. In verse seven, you read all of these names of people that I can't even pronounce. But what's interesting is it says, and they instructed the people in the law while everybody remained in their places. Do you see that? Look at verse eight. They read from the book of the law of God and they clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people to understand each passage. And so they didn't just gather and say, hey, let's listen to somebody preach. But they said, we want to understand it. We want to know what's going on. Because again, they've been in captivity for, for many, many years. And so now they need to know, what does this mean? Why did God say that? What does that do? And that's similar for us. We live most of our lives in the rest of the world throughout the week with our devices and all the junk around us. And we need to pause and say, I don't want to just read it. I want to apply it. And the only way you can apply it is by actually understanding it. It's not a magic book. You can't just pick it up and say, I'm going to keep it on my nightstand and it magically work, right? It doesn't work that way. It has to be understood because when you understand it, that's when it enters your heart. And that's when it brings life change. This is one of the reasons why my prayer is that one day, every single adult that calls Sugar Hill home would jump into a small group. 
I'm t- that, that's my prayer. People ask me, what's your prayer for small group ministry? My prayer is that the thousand or so adults that come every single Sunday would take the next step and jump into a group. Why would I do that? Well, of course you make friends in there and of course you find community in there. And of course you find support that you need when life throws junk your way. But one of the best reasons is you begin to break down scripture in a small group. And you begin to talk about how does this apply to your life? And it begins to change you from the inside out. They apply it and here's the last building block, number four to agree with the truth. Building block number four is to agree with it. And so as they hear the word read for six hours a day for an entire week, they hear parts of it where they realize we've sinned against God. They read parts of it where they see they've they've turned their back on God and so they're brokenhearted. So they begin to weep and they begin to cry and they begin to repent and they begin to say, God, we're so sorry, we're so sorry, we're so sorry. But then they also read parts that they forgot to apply. And one of those things was that when they were delivered out of Egypt, God set up a specific feast for them called the Feast of Tents where uh, this feast was to remind them of the story that you used to be slaves, but now you're free. So it's sometimes called the Feast of Booths. And so what would happen is for a week, they would build a tent out of sticks and stuff. And and they would camp out at least during the day in these tents that were made from sticks to remind them that there was a time that they journeyed from Egypt to the promised land. And it was in that wilderness, it was in that wandering that God began to knock the Egypt out of them and build within them what it meant to be the people of God. And it's a reminder to us that if we're not dead, then God's not done with us. If we're still breathing, God's still working inside of us. And in a similar way, if you know Christ personally, you've been delivered from Egypt. You've been delivered from your past sin, but you're still on your way in this journey and God is still at work. And so here's what happens for them. They begin to agree with the truth. They weep over it, they cry over it. And then they get to this part where Ezra says, it's not enough just to mourn over the past. We also need to celebrate the forgiveness that God has brought us. And so in verse nine, Ezra says, don't mourn, don't weep on such a day as this for today is a sacred day before the Lord, your God, for the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Verse 10. And Nehemiah continued, he said, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with the people who had nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before the Lord. Don't be dejected and sad for the joy of your Lord of the Lord is your strength. And they begin to live this out. If you wanna live in such a way that the joy of, your, of the Lord is your strength, instead of living a life of regret, instead of living a life of misalignment, instead of living a life that is out of integrity, if we begin to build these blocks into our lives, say, I wanna lean in, I wanna hear from God. I'm gonna make that such a priority. I'm gonna try to hear from him every single day. And as I hear from him every single day, there's gonna be some things I understand and some that I don't. I'm gonna try to understand the things that I don't understand and I'm gonna live out the ones that I do. What I think you'll end up finding is life isn't gonna be perfect. 
It doesn't mean you're going to be sin-free. But it does mean that you'll be able to put your head on your pillow and fall asleep at night at peace and rest. Because the joy of the Lord becomes your strength. I'm telling you, the word of God is so powerful. At times, it's like God uses it like a hammer to shape us. Sometimes he uses it like a pillow to provide us rest. Sometimes he uses the word of God like medicine to soothe a sick soul. Sometimes it feels like fire within our bones where he begins to ignite something inside of us. Sometimes his word's like a mirror that we read into it and we see, holy cow, this is what's going on in my life. Sometimes it's like a double-edged sword where it begins to, to, to dissect the things going on inside of us. Sometimes it's like a lamp. Sometimes it's like a light. Sometimes it's like seed that is planted in the soul. And if we want to get past this confession of outside not lining up with the inside, let's plant his truth inside of us. Let's pray together today. Would you bow your heads for a moment? Would you close your eyes? There's a quote that I wrote down this week that I thought was so powerful from Charles Spurgeon. He said, nobody ever outgrows scripture. Scripture widens and deepens with our years. So it doesn't matter if you're new to it or if you've been around it your whole life. There's always something to dig into. The late evangelist Billy Graham said it this way. He said, the word of God hidden in the heart is a stubborn voice to suppress. In other words, if you'll hide it in your heart, if you'll download it, if you'll access it, if you'll apply it, it'll call out and change you. This morning as we pray, there's at least two, two kinds of prayer that we could pray today. For some, you're a believer and you find yourself somewhere in this confession. I know this confession isn't for everybody, but maybe this confession was for you. You know Christ personally, but on the inside, there's still a lot of work to be done. Maybe you're in a season where your walk has grown stagnant or stale. Would you take a moment right now in your head and your heart and just pray and say, God, would you use your word in my life to reignite my soul for you? Or maybe there's an area of unconfessed sin. Would you say, dear Jesus, would you forgive me for this? I've been living in rebellion. Or maybe you've just taken the word for granted and haven't been spending time in it. Would you make a commitment to say, for these next seven days, I'm gonna spend time in God's word every single day. If you need help with that, if you need a, a pointer towards a game plan, just sh drop me an email, bobby at sugarhillchurch.com. But maybe today you don't know Christ personally. And so when I talk about the inside being hollow, you're like, man, that's where I'm at. There's never been a moment that Jesus has stepped out of heaven and into my heart. If that's you, what we believe around here is that Jesus came to this earth and he lived a perfect sinless life. So that when Jesus went to the cross, he was dying for my sins, for your sins, for the sins of the entire world. And that three days later, he came back to life with resurrection life inside of him, able to give it to anybody else that would ask him. And so if you've never done that, that is building block number one to say, I, I'm gonna ask you to step into my heart, Jesus. I wanna turn from my sin and turn to you. If that's you, you can pray this part of the prayer with me in your head and your heart. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I know that my sin separates me from you. But I believe you died on the cross for my sins and I believe you're alive today. And as best as I know how, 
I ask you to forgive me of my sins and save me. Help me to live for you. If you happen to pray that for the very first time today and you're here in the room, I would encourage you to take one of those guest info cards and on the prayer side, just indicate that. Just say, hey, I prayed with Bobby today because I've got some resources I'd love to put in your hand over the next week or so and help you with next steps. If you're watching online or listening to the podcast, you can drop us an email at prayer at sugarhillchurch.com, prayer at sugarhillchurch.com. We'd love to do the same thing. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you that you're still at work on the inside of us. Help us to submit and apply your word. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Let's stand together before we head out. Pastor Zach and the team's gonna lead us as a way of taking this truth and this posture to say, God, this is what we're asking for. This is what we're living out. Let's sing this out. Then I hope you have a great rest of your weekend. In everlasting, your light will shine when all else fades. Never ending, your glory goes beyond all faith. straight this week. Thank you again for being with us and worshiping this morning. Have a great, great rest of your week.